one 990 is the number that is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. You'll want to check it out. So we'll get to it a little later on in the show. That would be the injury calculator. Find out your pain and suffering amount, injurycalculator.ca. We'll kick it off with uh, James Savannah. James Savannah, we flipped a coin, and Savannah is the winner. There you go, John. So I'll kick it off. Uh, we, we got a, um, uh, an email this week. I got an email this week from a lady. Uh, her name is Marlene from Ottawa. And here's what the email says. She writes, good day, Mr. Tumarkin. A friend heard your radio program and suggested that I contact you. My name is Marlene, and I have been employed in a company for a company for 15 years, but had knee surgery on June 27, 2017, and have been off work since. My medical employment ended on November 4, 2017, and I applied for disability uh, back on uh, December 15th of last year. I phoned the disability office over 10 times uh, without getting any answers about my disability claim or payments. Since November 4th, 2017, I've not had any money coming in, uh, including up until now. Uh, No responses from my disability uh, claim insurer, from no one, can you help me? And at the bottom, she included a line says, um, do you offer a 30-minute free consultation? And she underlined that. So first of all, again, to reiterate for anyone out there, if you are dealing with a long-term disability claim, you have a question, you have an issue, you've been denied, you've been cut off, you know someone who's been denied or cut off, or you've been injured in an accident, it costs nothing to talk to us. We're not going to force you to do anything. All we're going to do is assess your case and give you an honest assessment, a legal assessment about your options. We're going to tell you what you can do if you're entitled to compensation, what your rights are vis-a-vis the insurance company. Now, to answer Marlene's uh, question here, can we help? Absolutely, we can help. Uh, You know, this is something that, unfortunately, many insurance companies just don't care, but they don't care that an individual is suffering because they have no income coming in. They are a bureaucratic entity, uh, a billion bo- billion dollar company, and you know, and their job and their mandate is to make money. And one of the ways that they make money is by not paying legitimate claims. Now, I don't know in this case if this is what's happening here, if the insurance company is purposefully ignoring Marlene's request, but she's saying that she submitted everything and she's been following up repeatedly over 10 times over the course of approximately two months. Let me tell you something. If you're in that situation, give us a call. If we contact the insurance company and they ignore us, they do that at their own peril because the next step is us starting a legal claim against them. And once we start a legal claim against them, we take the power out of their hands. And at that point, they have no choice but to respond because if they don't, they're going to be ordered by a court to pay the individual the compensation they deserve. Again, every case is different. Every case is specific. We have to look at all the documents. But there is zero reason, valid reason, why an insurance company should be ignoring someone's request and application for long-term disability. one 990 is the number. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. What do you got going on, James? Well, I have a client I'd like to talk about. Uh, I have a mediation coming up shortly. So this is a lady that uh, gave me a call, and her issue is a few years ago, she woke up uh, and the left side of her face was numb. They figured out it was Bell's palsy. In addition to this numbness in her face, over the ensuing months and even years, she's developed all kinds of other symptoms. Uh, She has migraines. She also has significant visual issues as well. She has blurry vision, uh, difficulty with her depth perception, difficulty with her color perception. And when she looks at a screen or even written text for more than 20 minutes, maybe half an hour, she gets these headaches. 
And that is a pretty big issue for her because she's a web designer. So it's pretty much impossible for her to work. Certainly not as a web designer, but there's not a whole lot of occupations that you can do at this point if you can't look at a screen or if you can't you know, read text. There are some, but not many. And she was earning a pretty good income. And her insurer rightly paid her for the first two years of her eligibility for disability benefits. Um, that is what is known as the own occupation period. In other words, they agreed that she was not able to return to her own job. Right. But when the own occupation period ended, they cut her off. And the basis for this was a vocational assessment that I had a chance to look over. And this assessment, it's not done by a doctor. Um, it's done by um, someone who is purported to have experience in vocational issues and occupations and so forth. And they run her through a bunch of tests, all written, by the way, none on the computer. And they come up with five occupations that they say my client is able to do. Now, one of the things that uh, the they rightly acknowledge in the report is the assessor has no way of testing the limitations on her vision. No way. That's her biggest disability. And right off the bat, they're nice. saying, okay, but we can't actually deal with what is, in fact, your biggest issue. But we're going to look at what you otherwise could do. As though there's a point in going through that exercise. There's not. But in any case, knowing that she has these huge issues with her vision... The five that they come up with includes web developer. What's wrong with these people? I, I'm not kidding. The web developer. They say that you know this person who can't look at a computer screen for more than 20 minutes can be a web developer. Done. To add insult to injury, the insurance company gets this, and they say, well, based on this assessment, you can clearly do at least three hours of computer time without any issue, because they somehow read the report as saying that the assessment was done on a computer when it says very clearly at two points in the assessment that it wasn't. So, you know, they're completely out to lunch. If I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt it was a mistake, I don't know if I want to do that or not. But in any case, this report that they're basing the denial of my client's benefits on is entirely useless. They have no basis to have cut her off. And, you know, I wish I could tell you that this was shocking to me, that this was, you know, an a unusual... A one in a million. It's not. No. It's not. Every time I go through one of these files, there is something like that. Maybe not always quite this bad, but sometimes worse sometimes worse. It's out there. Um, so if you have been denied by your insurance company, don't just take their word for it. Don't accept what they're saying to you. Give us a call. Let me take a look through the file and see what I can find, because I bet you I'm going to find something. The number is one 9946 That email is help at the We'll get to that and the injury calculator in just a bit. And your questions as well right here on the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 9946 It is help at the Have you even checked it out yet? We'll get to this as well. It's called fightformyltd.com. Savannah will give us some details on that uh, in just a bit. What else you got going on, brother? We had a lady contact us. Again, it's a long-term disability issue that she's calling us for. And uh, th this lady has been on long-term disability since March of 2016, and it's set to expire to end March of this year. So, you know, on the point that James made in the last segment, in the majority of LTD cases out there, the policies that people have delineate between the own occupation test and the any occupation test. And that means that for the first two years when you're an LTD, the, the, the uh, test is or the criteria for qualification is can you do your own job? 
And beyond the two-year mark, it's can you do any job, any occupation for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience? Okay, and that's really, really important to understand because really a lot of people get cut off at that two-year mark. And some people get cut off when, you know, when you look at the facts, you're thinking, what was the insurance company thinking, right? So this lady contacts us. She's about to get cut off uh, March, end of March of this year. Uh, get this, John. Uh, she has, uh, she, she, she's been through uh, uh, treatments for breast cancer. She's had a mastectomy. Um, there was a botched uh, uh, surgery there. Uh, she had an additional surgery in December of 2016. Uh, she has COPD, side effects, joint pain, emphysema. These are, these are breathing issues, respiratory type of issues. So she's clearly uh, having a lot of issues that she's struggling with. She's 57 years old, a line operator, making $65,000 a year. Now, this lady is getting about 2700 bucks a month, and she received a letter January 22nd of this year advising her that she's going to be cut off as of March 31st, 2018. And why is that? Because they want her doctor uh, to uh, provide some kind of confirmation that she's going to be able to do some sedentary type of job, that she's going to be able to retrain. Get this, the insurance company says that they expect, based on all the medical documents they've reviewed, that her doctor will approve her for some kind of other job, right. i.e. non-physical job. Now, this is just, it's just preposterous. So, I mean, implicit in this uh, uh, email that we had received was that the doctor, this lady's doctor, has not said that. In other words, hasn't said that this lady is going to be ready to go to any form of employment, but the insurance company has unilaterally decided that they believe, based on their review of medical documentation, that this lady will be able to do some kind of a job. Right. Now, what, what, you know, these kinds of cases, unfortunately, again, are common. And what I mean by that is that many people are told that at a two-year mark, after receiving LTD for two years, they are going to be cut off. And a whole variety of reasons are given. Sometimes the insurance company relies on their own doctor's review of the records. Sometimes they'll send you to one of their doctors and get a report that says that you should be able to do another job. Sometimes, like in James's case, they will have you seen or, or undergo some kind of a vocational assessment where you're going to have this person who is going to crank out a report who tells the insurance company, you can do these five other jobs, irrespective of what the facts are and what reality dictates. What do you do in those circumstances? What do you do? Do you, do you just back off? Do you just let it go? Do you just simply no. you know, resign to the fact that you're not going to get paid even though the insurance company ought to be paying you beyond the two-year mark? You don't do that. You don't appeal these decisions. You don't uh, you know, uh, uh, put your head in the sand. You don't do any of that. You give us a call. You email us. Let us review the letter you received from your insurance company. Let us review your policy and the medical documents you signed. And I am telling you, within minutes, we will be able to tell you if you have a legal case against the insurance company. The insurance company is banking on you walking away, and many people do that. And when people do that, despite the fact that we tell them that they have rights, that's their business. We're never going to force someone to do something against what, the, you know, to, to, to do something that they don't want to do. Right. But don't make a decision in the absence of talking to us, of understanding what your legal rights are. And if you're listening to the show and you are you know, uh, hearing this and you know that there is someone, your family members, a family member, a friend, a colleague who's facing these issues, be a good friend, be a good family member, contact us on their behalf or have them contact us. We don't bite. You know, we're very, we're very friendly. It's just that we want to make sure that you're making the right decision. You don't want to follow advice. It's your thing. 
but don't simply assume that the insurance company uh, can't be made to heal, that they're not going to pay. Because you know what? That's what we do every single day. We make companies pay. So give us a call or email us. Let's have a chat and let's talk about your options. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. We'll get your emails right away after a short break. That is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. This is the insurance and injury law show right here. Global news radio, six forty Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Help at the insurance lawyer.ca an email. Uh, I'll throw this one to you. I guess Savannah Bill writes in, says my wife recently had surgery on her back and there were some complications that required her to stay off work. She's been on LTD for over a year uh, for a variety of issues, and her insurer now says that unless she tried to go to work uh, back to work in February, they'll cut her off. She is in no position to go anytime soon, and her doctors agree. What should we do? Well, Bill, you know, the last uh, uh, sentence there is really key. Her doctors agree that she's in no position to go back. The insurance company has no right to force her to go back to work. Now, what they can do is they can take that position and say that they're going to cut her off. But you know what? If they do that, then our position is that they're in breach of their contractual obligations under the policy. And that's when we take action. Now, the good thing is that uh, they haven't uh, cut her off yet. So what I suggest we do is that we get in touch after the show. Let me review the medical documents. Let me review any correspondence from the insurance company. And let me try to reach out to the adjuster. And, you know, when I do that... Uh, I'll get one of two responses. Either the adjuster will say, you know, okay, we got your email, we got your letter, we're going to review our decision again. And oftentimes they come back and say, okay, you know what, maybe you're right, we're not going to cut off the person at this point. The person continues getting payments, and that's the end of it. You know, the individual doesn't pay me a dime for this. Okay, I'll be happy to do that. In other instances, unfortunately, the adjuster comes back and says, you know what, we stand by our decision, we think this person should be able to go back, irrespective of what all this person's doctors are saying. And you know what? If they do that, that's fine because now your legal options are, are very simple, which are to either let that happen and not fight the insurance company or to let us fight back. And how do we do that? We start a legal claim against the insurance company. Once we do that, that adjuster who made that decision is no longer going to be the adjuster on the claim. The claim internally within the insurance company will move on to a new adjuster someone who is um, equipped w- to, to, to deal with these kinds of legal claims. There's going to be a defense lawyer appointed. And once that happens, you and your wife can just focus on your wife getting better. Let us deal with the insurance company. We're going to get this case resolved. It's not going to take a long time to get it resolved, but we're going to know what information, documentation we're going to need from the, from the doctors in order to uh, uh, make the insurance company pay mm-hmm. what they ought to have paid uh, to your wife. Injury calculator, how does it work? Injury Calculator is a fantastic tool, online tool. It's free, it's anonymous, it's a database of cases uh, for people who have been injured through no fault of their own. So if you're in a car accident, someone's fault, if you're in slip and fall uh, accident, uh, because somebody didn't maintain the area where you were walking, and you wanna know, you know, the starting point for your inquiry about your injury. I broke my ankle, I broke my back, you know, I, I suffered the concussion, what kind of damages, what kind of compensation can I be looking at? And so what this tool allows you to do is to go on it and there are drop-down menus and you input uh, you know, very simple key pieces of information like your age, where the accident happened, the type of injury you suffered, the extent of the injury. So if you suffered the fracture, did you have surgery? Are you having chronic pain? It literally takes you 20, 25 seconds to go through it. And then at the end, uh, the calculator scans through the databases of cases from across Canada where people have been injured in, in a similar way. 
and it tells you here's what you can expect to potentially get for your pain and suffering. Okay, so if you, you know you broke your ankle, it's going to search for all the cases where someone has broken their ankle. If you had surgery on your ankle after the uh, breakage, those kinds of cases are searched. And the calculator then tells you, here's what you can potentially be looking at for pain and suffering. But remember, it's only a starting point. Right. It's only for pain and suffering. Maybe because of your injury, you can't work or you have difficulty working or you have to hire someone to do things around the home, around your house. Those are additional damages that you could be uh, seeking if you start a legal claim. And if you want to contact us after getting that result, at the end, when you get the result, there is a submit button. You click on that and then we get that and we get the conversation going. So it's a free tool. It's anonymous. Nothing like it as far as I know in the country. Uh, and you know, it's been used, I can tell you, thousands and thousands of times across Canada. It is injurycalculator.ca. The email address is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. The number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six and lots more still to go. More of your emails coming up too on the insurance and injury law show. Global News Radio six forty Toronto one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number help at the insurancelawyer.ca. So James, uh, recommendations for people who are suffering from uh, you know, psychological, emotional conditions, they disable them from working. Uh, what can they do to minimize the, the chance of either getting denied LTD or getting cut off in the first place? What do they do? Well, the first thing to keep in mind, if you're suffering from a psychological or emotional issue or even a physical issue, your priority is getting better. Regardless of where you are in the legal process, if you haven't applied for benefits, if you've applied and haven't heard, if you've applied and you're getting them or you've been cut off, it doesn't matter. Your focus is always on trying to get better. So visit your doctor. Follow their recommendations. That is first and foremost, and that will never change. My advice will never change regardless of where you are in the process. Secondarily, With respect to the process, the legal process, you want to make sure that you are documenting every conversation that you're having with the insurance company. So if you've applied for benefits and you have an adjuster who's contacting you and calling you on the phone and telling you all sorts of things, some of which you may understand and some of which you may not, it's really important that you follow that up and you send an email. You get their email address, you send an email and you say, I understand from our conversation A, B, C, and D. So you want to take notes, of course, when you're talking to them on the phone so that you can do that. The reason you want to do this is because adjusters will sometimes say things that they don't want put in print. They don't want a record of. And you can use that against them if you followed up. If you send them an email and you confirm that they have said A, B, C, and D, and they don't respond to you, they don't correct that, then they have, they're basically acknowledging that that's what they said. Nice. So this is what you want to do. This is how you protect yourself. Now, depending on where you are, at a certain point, you're going to want to call a lawyer, such as Cynthia or Tamarkin. If you have been cut off, if they have told you that you're going to be cut off, give us a call. Let us give you a free consultation. We will assess what's happening and let you know what your options are. There's no risk to it whatsoever. You give us a call, you get information. Simple as that. What you do with it from that point on is your choice. If you want to go ahead, you'll know what your options are. You'll know what the risks are. You'll know what the rewards are. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. What do you think, Savan? Yeah, I completely agree with James. And you know, I remember this uh, one individual who called me one time and told me, uh, and I kid you not, that the adjuster told that person. The person has been on LTD for for just over, uh, sorry, j- just just under two years, and they're about to get cut off. And the adjuster told that person on the phone, "Yeah, we cut everyone off at the two year mark." 
I mean, I remember when that person told me that, and, and, you know, unfortunately it was, you know, uh, by phone, it wasn't in writing, but, you know, I still got the individual to confirm in writing to the adjuster and the adjuster never, uh, uh, you know, denied it. And I remember that when I was dealing with the defense lawyer on that claim, because we started a legal claim, you know, she was just shaking her head and she was telling me, you know, off the record, and I'm going to say that here because no one knows who that lawyer is or the insurance company. Off the record, she said, yes, we have some adjusters in the office. And that's how she left it. <laughs> and, 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 you know, again, that's not to say that every insurance adjuster doesn't know what they're doing or is a bad person. We're not saying that. What we're saying is, again, to James's point, if the insurance company is taking a position with your LTD claim that you object to, you think they're cutting you off of denied your claim, and, and you think that's just wrong, Talk to us about it. It's going to cost you nothing. And it's going to take us literally a few minutes to assess whether or not you have a case. So keep that in mind. Insurance companies are not always right. And frankly, again, their loyalty is not to you. Even though it's supposed to be a safety net for you, their main job is to make money. And the way they make money, two ways, collect premiums and don't pay. That's the formula, right? That's what, that's all it is. one 9646 the number to get it started. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. I'll throw this one towards you, James. Uh, from Dennis writes in, says, my brother was involved in a head-on crash near Ottawa last year. They left him paralyzed from the waist down. The police charged the other driver who was convicted. My brother's 29 and was in the process of changing careers when this happened. He hadn't worked for six months as he was training to be a chef, but he worked as an arborist for 10 years before that. He could still uh, claim, uh, can he still claim income loss for the future given how serious the injuries are? His lawyer isn't giving us a straight answer and we can hardly get him on the phone. Absolutely. Um, I have no idea why any lawyer would have any difficulty confirming that quite clearly. The way this works is regardless of what he was doing at the time of the accident, the analysis is on what he would have been doing if the if the accident hadn't happened, and that is compared to what he will be doing given that the accident has happened. Right. So in this particular case, your brother was training to be a chef. Depending on how he was doing in that program, you would make assumptions about whether he would have finished the program and become a chef and what he likely would have earned and how long he likely would have worked for had the accident not happened. Given that it has happened, we will have medical evidence that will tell us what his medical limitations are, what he's going to be able to do. Now, he's a paraplegic, so he's going to have very limited options, but that doesn't mean he won't have any options. There are certainly some occupations that you know someone who's a paraplegic can do, being a chef probably isn't likely going to happen, but, you know, it's not for me to say he can't do it. And, you know, I'm sure there are, you know, several chefs out there who have been injured like that and have returned to it. The point of the matter is the analysis has to focus on what he is capable of doing now, what's likely going to happen versus what would have happened. And he's entitled to be compensated for the difference between the two. He's entitled to be put back into the position he would have been in if the accident hadn't happened. Made whole. Yep. Basically. Right? Exactly. Yeah, and, and you know, John, I just want to touch on, on, on one point at the end uh, of, of Dennis's email. He says his lawyer is not giving him a straight answer and we can hardly get him on the phone. Again, a very big no-no and a red flag for me that you're having difficulty reaching your lawyer. Look, we are busy. There's no question about that. You know, we have a, we have a lot of cases we're dealing with, uh, although every case has to be given the attention that's required. And certainly when a client contacts us, you know, it's it's a huge thing in our firm uh, this idea of responsiveness. And, and maybe, you know, I'm here at the studio and, and maybe I'm in court and maybe something else is happening. I'm in a meeting. You know what? If I'm not getting in touch with you shortly after you've tried to contact me, my assistant will, and she will schedule a time for us to speak. 
for you to have to chase your lawyer, it's just not right. And, you know, we hear this a lot. And unfortunately, that is a big thing in the profession, a big problem uh, that is quite chronic. And, and again, we're really, really focused on making sure that does not happen in our firm. One more thing, Dennis. I see your brother, uh, because he was injured in a car crash, he's going to be entitled to income replacement benefits from his own insurance company. So regardless of what happens with his claim against the at-fault driver, his own insurance company is going to be paying him up to $400 a week for his income replacement. one 9646 the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to send an email through to uh, get it on the air, get your question answered that way, or you can always go to injurycalculator.ca to find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. It is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 9646 the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Nancy, use that, and I'll give this one to you, uh, Savances. Uh, Nancy says, I slipped on a pool of water on the floor at a grocery store by the meat section a month ago. The manager said that the fridge had been leaking for a while and is supposed to be fixed in a few days, but there were no caution signs or any other warning. I fell hard on my knee and it looks like I broke something and may need surgery now. I'm 47. I can't afford to take time off work. I'm a building super. Uh, Is the store responsible for any money I lose if I take time off for surgery? Uh, the, the the short answer is likely yes. Oh. We need to get some more information, but the fact that the manager told you that this has been an issue, that the fridge has been leaking for a while, they're probably yeah. going to have records. Yeah. Now, there could be other entities involved here. In other words, it could be a cleaning company. It, this is probably something that the store staff hasn't done. It, this is probably, they probably have their own uh, staff that cleans the place. But you know, a lot of stores and malls, they hire third parties to clean the store. Now, you're dealing with a fridge here. Maybe there is an issue with whoever is maintaining this fridge in addition to the store. And the reason why all this is important is because, you know, clearly you're dealing with a significant injury. And when we start a legal claim, we want to make sure we have all of the possible, you know, targets involved. Why? Because, you know, if you have a cleaning company, they're going to have insurance. The store owner, they're going to have insurance. Fridge company or maintenance company, they may have insurance. So instead of three, insu- you know, one insurance company, we may be dealing with three insurance companies, and it just means it's going to potentially be easier to settle the case, because you know if you're looking you for the all this money, you got it exactly, exactly. So it's really, really important that uh, you know we we uh, um, investigate this, get all the facts. There's likely going to be an incident report that we're going to want to get, and again, it's going to have some information that's valuable. Now, the one thing that I would want to know from Nancy is whether or not she or anyone else took some photographs of the water that was on the floor. Again, very important people to understand. Whether you've slipped on water or on ice outside on the sidewalk, whatever it is, even if you're in a car accident, if you can't do it, ask someone to take photographs of the area. Uh, if it's a car accident, you know, of the vehicle. Yep. The more photographic evidence you have or even video evidence you have that's contemporaneous or as contemporaneous as possible with the actual incident, the less dispute there could potentially be down the road about liability, about who's at fault. Think about this. You slipped and fell on ice on a sidewalk. You're saying there was a huge sheet of uh, black ice, but the city says, no, 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 we maintain that there was a ton of salt. Well, if you had photographs that show that there was literally no salt, as far as the eye can see, the city is going to have a problem arguing that they had maintained the area properly, right? So again, photographic evidence, video evidence, very, very important. One thing I would add on this. um, So Nancy was injured in a store. 
which means that there you know isn't her own insurance company that's you know paying for her medical and rehabilitation benefits as you might have if you're injured in a car accident and she may not have access to anyone to help her pay for that and she may not be able to afford it and as we know whenever you talk to a doctor they'll tell you that the care that you get during the acute phase of the injury is by far the most important care that you're going to get that's going to have the biggest impact on your eventual outcome and so what that means is when I have a case like this, I will invariably contact the defense as soon as we've identified who's on the hook. And I'll say to them, listen, she doesn't have any money coming in. If there's no issue about liability, if I'm, you know, if it's very clear to both sides that you know, this, this defendant is the one responsible, sometimes, not always, but sometimes they will be willing to put up some money for her treatment if they know that they're going to have to pay eventually anyway, they will sometimes pay for the treatment now knowing that the eventual outcome is going to be better and thus they're going to have to pay less in the end by doing it. It won't always happen, but it's an avenue that we can go down once, you know, once we're contacted. We can get in touch with them and we can sometimes strike a deal that will allow you to get some access to treatment. That's an excellent point. And, you know, the one thing to consider as well is, look, people have financial realities that they have to deal with. You know, the problem is that if the doctor says you need this and this treatment or you need this surgery and you don't do that, down the road when we actually have that claim going forward for you, you can bet that the insurance uh, lawyers are going to say, well, your doctor said you, you should have done the surgery. So, you know, because you chose not to and, and now you're, you're, you know, you're no better. In fact, you're, you may be worse now because you didn't do the surgery. That's on you. Yep. So it muddies the water. But again, you know, the person comes back and says, but, you know, I couldn't take time off to do the surgery. So again, very important to contact us in those early stages, the beginning when this just happens, you know, after you get your medical attention to talk to us so that we can actually walk you through the options. So you understand, you know, what to do so that there are no landmines down the road when we start your claim, because, you know, the last thing you want is to have a claim that's worth, let's say, a hundred grand and then have to take a hit for 25% because you didn't do what your doctors recommended, you know, from from a mitigation standpoint, right, to get better. So very important to contact us as early as possible so that we can give you your options and give you the advice you need and then you can decide what you want to do. You know, James, you mentioned when it just happens. In that regard, I mean, if you're in a you know grocery store, wherever, and you take a header, and you, you know, is it important? How important is it to fill an accident report, get the manager's signature, anybody else who witnesses? Should you do all that? Take the time to do that. Absolutely. Um, Savon mentioned something in the last uh, email. Um, take photographs. Absolutely. Right. Anything that you can do to document what happens is going to help in the end. It's going to give more information. And if you have that information, they can't say it didn't happen. If you have an accident report that's signed by the manager, they know that you were there. They can't say that you weren't there. If you have photographs showing that there was water in this you know, puddle on the floor, they can't say that there wasn't water there. And if you have the names of anybody who might have witnessed it, then they can't say that you don't have anyone to support your claims because wow. they know that these people are going to show up if they need to to say, yeah, I saw, I saw him or her fall and I saw this puddle of water on the floor etc etc and i saw what happened afterwards whatever the case may be so whatever you can do do it you know if you don't have your phone on you at the very least take some notes and even if you don't have your phone we're in a time when everybody's got a cell phone on them and if you don't someone else does ask someone else to take a picture the one thing i will add and and this is it's an interesting story uh so of course you know i used to defend insurance companies in the past and stores and malls and and municipalities whenever you've had a slip and fall happen And one of the reasons why I used to hate, as a defense lawyer, looking at incident reports that were created 
contemporaneous with the accident. So right after the fall occurred, an employee would then get one of those uh, blank reports and start filling them out is because there would be a section in that report that talks about what happened, what was the hazard and all that. Now, employees you know, who, whose job is not to assess legal risk, you know, they're not working in the legal risk, uh, uh, um, risk uh, uh, department. Right. They just put in whatever they see, right? I mean, they're a lay person. And so as a defense lawyer, I would be looking at that, some of these incident reports and I would see comments such as, you know, there was water on the floor and it's been like this for a day. Or uh, I would see things like, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the area in the back where this person fell was messy and, you know, we decided to put a sign up to warn people. I mean, things that would sink us as a defendant. So my point is that if you are involved in a slip and fall, in you know, an accident of this sort, insist that whoever it is that's dealing with you from the store, the mall, whoever it is, that they fill out one of those incident right. reports and, and insist to take a look at it and try and make sure that it encapsulates as much as possible the nature of the hazard, what actually caused you uh, to, to, to fall or, or, you know, caused your injury. Yeah. Because I'll tell you this, the insurance company has no control at that moment in time about what goes in in that report. And that report is going to become a crucial piece of evidence as your claim progresses down the road. one 9646 and help at the Back to one of your emails. When we continue the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1-888-990-9646 is the number at help at the insurancelawyer.ca. If you haven't checked it out yet, uh, find out what the pain and suffering component of a claim should be, injurycalculator.ca as well. Got an email here from Dale. says, uh, how often should I hear from my lawyer? I was denied LTD over two years ago and signed up with my lawyer who handled my divorce. And uh, divorce, okay. And he hasn't updated me on my case for all that time. Maybe because he's a divorce lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Might be part of it. What I can tell you, first of all, is two years is is too long. Uh, If you haven't heard from your lawyer in two years, um, that's not acceptable. In general, it's going to vary how often you're going to hear from your lawyer depending on your case and where it is in the proceedings. But my practice, I, I make sure that my clients are up to date on where we are. So anytime there is a an event coming up, they know what that event is, they know what date that is. And if it hasn't been scheduled yet, they know that that's what I'm working towards. Typically speaking, that means I'm in contact with my clients at least every three or four months, um, and quite often much more frequently than that. And any time there's any significant change or any time the case advances in any significant way, they're going to hear from me. And certainly any time they contact me, we're going to get in touch, whether they reach me right away or not. If they don't reach me, then I have a 24-hour policy. And if I don't talk to them right away, then my policy is to get back in touch with them within 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the only thing that I would add to that is that it really depends on the individual as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had clients in the past that they just need a lot of hand-holding. And, you know, I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying they just always want to be apprised about what's going sure. on. And so, you know, they'll email me on a Friday and I'll email them back on that Friday. Or, you know, I have some clients that simply, they, they trust the fact that we have everything handled. And just like James says, you know, if I don't have to tell you that there is an update in four months, then you're not going to hear from me. But if you're going to call me or if you're going to express some concern, you can bet you that you're going to hear back, you know, in lightning speed from me, from my assistant, maybe another lawyer, sure. someone. 
the key thing is that if you are trying to get a hold of your lawyer or if you are seeking updates, you should never feel like you are being ignored. That's the point. Because you know, the risk is that if you feel like you're being ignored, maybe the insurance company is trying to resolve the case with your client and they're being ignored. Right. I've had that happen when I was a defense lawyer where I've had instructions to settle a claim, but I could not get a hold of the plaintiff's lawyer you know, for months at a time. And I bet you that he didn't tell his client that we were offering money. Right? I mean, I don't know what was happening there, but that's that's the issue. You want to make sure that you have a lawyer, a law firm that's responsive. If you don't, then you risk significant delays in resolving your claim. The other thing is if your lawyer's you know, calling you back, they're not doing you a favor. They're doing their job. That's what exactly. they're supposed to do. I have clients that you know will leave me a voicemail and I'll call them back and they'll, oh, thank you so much. I'm so sorry to take your time. No, no, no reason to apologize. That's my job. I'm your lawyer. <laughs> I'm supposed to get back to you. And if I don't, there's a big problem. But thankfully, I do. Yeah. You guys often talk about, you know, appealing denial, appealing denial. It's like shooting pool with a rope. It's absolutely useless. So, you know, second denial, does it weaken your claim going forward or no? No, it, it doesn't weaken your claim, but it just delays it unnecessarily. Right. I mean, you know, if you like detours and you like to get frustrated and, and you want to delay, you know, when your money's going to come in, then sure, you know, try, try and appeal the decision. You know, the caveat to that is that if you delay for too long, you may be in a position where you miss the limitation period for starting a legal claim. And what is that limitation period? Two years, two years from the, from the first time you were denied. You do not want to be in a position where the insurance company, uh, you know, can simply ignore you now forever because you've missed the limitation period. So just remember that the longer you delay in starting your claim, the longer it's going to take to get your money that's owed to you. The email is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. We'll squeeze one more in here. we got a couple minutes. Uh, James, okay, this to you. Rose says, my husband was in a car accident last year. It wasn't his fault, and he was hurt very badly. He can't work, and he's getting income replacement benefits. We hired a lawyer, and he's charging 25% of what my husband is getting for his income replacement, which doesn't leave us enough money. Can the lawyer do that? Is it common? Um, it's not that common to see in lawyers who are experienced working in injury claims. You see that mostly with paralegals. So remember, when you're in a car accident, you have an accident benefits claim from your own insurance company, and you have a legal claim. So you know, our firm, for example, we don't charge anything on accident benefits that you get from your own insurance company as long as your claim isn't denied. But there are paralegals out there that all they're doing is accident benefits, so they have to make money some way. So they're going to charge the 25%. But a lawyer shouldn't be doing that. And frankly, if you're seeing a paralegal for your accident benefits, then you should be seeing a lawyer uh, in all likelihood in any case. Because if you have a legal claim, the paralegal can't handle that for you. All they can do is your accident benefits. We'll take it for a, uh, another week. The uh, The number is one 990 It is help at We talked about it earlier with Savannah. If you haven't checked it out, want to find out what the pain and suffering component of a claim should be, your claim, injurycalculator.ca as well. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.